I don't know about you, but has Jesus Christ made a difference in your life? By knowing him, by putting our faith and trust in him, a life is forever changed. I remember fondly the first time visiting Israel. I was a senior in high school. And uh, getting on that trip, I was actually on a tour with uh, Northland Baptist Bible College, where I later attended. On that trip uh, was uh, Evangelist Steve Pettit, Dr. Ernie Schmidt was on that trip, and Ron Hamilton, somebody might know him better as Patch the Pirate. Uh, we had several other good friends who became still in contact with them, and uh, what a wonderful journey that was. As uh, most tours go, and I've led several tours myself living in Israel, but as um, we do, we often, usually the last day of the tour, maybe the next to the last day, we finish our tour by stopping at a very special place just outside of the old city of Jerusalem. This is known as the Garden Tomb. At the Garden Tomb, it's in Jerusalem, just on the north side of Damascus Gate, and uh, here you walk into a very beautiful garden that's been very well maintained by a group of uh, believers, a group of Christians from Great Britain. And uh, just a beautiful spot, beautiful place to meditate. And, and it's very contrast if you go out even just a, a block away. It's very noisy and bustling near the Arab quarter, uh, the Christian and Arab Muslim quarters of the old city. Nonetheless, as we are there, you take some steps, you walk about 100 feet or so, and you come to a spot which, uh, at least it was a place in, in the Bible times, was a place of execution. And this is a spot, if you look at the hill, it definitely looks like a shape of a skull. Now, now one thing I will say is this, that times have changed. Even in the years that I lived there, the, the structure of that face has eroded some. So exactly what it looked like 2,000 years ago, we, we just don't know. However, it was a place of execution, and at least brings to our memory the great suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect and sinless life, came and died on a cruel, rugged cross. Last week, we talked a little bit about the crucifixion of Jesus, and we talked about uh, the sign that was made for him that was put on his cross. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And yes, even though he was mocked with that title, ironically, he was, in fact, was the king of the Jews. And in fact, for anyone who follows him, he is our king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. Such an interesting twist to the story. As we were there at Calvary, at that spot there, we remembered, again, the great sacrifice of love that our Savior made for me and made for you by taking our sins upon himself and dying on that cross. Took a moment to pray, to sing there with our group. Most tours do that. And then after that, our guide that was there at the garden tomb, he brought us to another place, about another hundred yards or so away. And there we stopped at a tomb, which is known as the garden tomb. We took turns by stepping inside that tomb, and you go in on the right side, our, our places are, are, that could be, uh, that were used to place bodies, uh, about two or three places that are there, and there's a mourning era, area, things like that. And as we stepped outside, you know, you ask yourself this question, could this have been the very place where Jesus was buried for us? We don't know 100%. Uh, I have my own theories on where it could be and all that, but nonetheless, it brings to our memory the fact that Jesus was buried. 
It's interesting, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul lays out what is the gospel. The gospel is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose the third day according to the scriptures. And the fact is, why do we place an emphasis, yes, he was crucified, why do we place an emphasis that he was buried? Because that shows, in fact, that he was dead. Something that we kind of gloss over. Jesus was then buried and he was dead. He was placed in a borrowed tomb, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. We read that from scripture. But as we stand there at that garden tomb, outside the old city of Jerusalem, we ask ourselves, could this very well be the place? Perhaps. We, we don't know for sure. Perhaps. But while we don't know for sure, the mere thought of potentially standing in the place where the focal point of scripture is gave me and those with me great joy. At that time, the guide, a British guide, he, he got our attention. And he asked, says, so what is inside the tomb? And I ask you that question, what's inside the tomb? Nothing. So my friends, why would you travel halfway around the world, boys and girls? Why would you get on an airplane, fly halfway around the world to go and see nothing? <laughs> Have you thought of that before? Because you see the journey to Israel, the journey to see these sites, it's not just a, a mere trip, a mere vacation. It's a journey of faith, a pilgrimage, if you will. And as you go there and you see that, you go to see nothing. Well, like I said, our faith is of substance, isn't it? With that, our guide shut the door. And on that door, which, by the way, they had to take down a few years ago because of code, but that's another issue, all right? But nonetheless, they shut the door, and upon the door were these words, He is not here, for He is risen. That's the title of today's message, He is risen. I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. I read a few of the verses earlier today. I want to take a few moments this morning, this Easter morning, as we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. And we're going to look at the very place and the moments that happened there at the resurrection and why we should rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. He's alive forevermore. Now, I'm going to talk to the kids just for a moment here before we get into the scriptures. And so, boys and girls, I wanted to say this. Some years ago, we were in good news clubs, we were in different schools, and we were telling boys and girls about Jesus and how Jesus loved them and how Jesus died for them on the cross, how he was buried, and how he rose again the third day. Well, there was one girl, I think she was about eight years old or so, and she was very confused. She was scratching her head, and she said, Pastor Aaron, it's like, Jesus rose again? I don't get it. Jesus became a flower, a rose, he rose again. We got to speak in child ease, right? What does it mean that he rose again? He became alive again. So we kind of switched that up a little bit. Jesus, he died, he was buried, and he became alive again. Now you understand. I asked this girl, she said, yes, I do. And my word, the light went on, and she understood more about what Jesus did for us. Okay, like I said, this is going to be a little bit of junior church time intermix. This is fun, all right? So, boys and girls of all ages. All right, now let's get to the word. Let's see what happens here. I believe we're going to look at three uh, elements here of the resurrection, and we're going to look at the tomb and the fact that Jesus is We're going to look at the moment of the tomb, what happened there, 
We're going to talk about the mind of the tomb. Who was watching it and people's reactions. And then we're going to talk about the meaning of the tomb today. And the fact that is that Jesus is risen. Again, starting in Matthew chapter 28. And boys and girls, you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in your pew there for you. Matthew 28, the very end of the gospel. It says here in verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Wow, what a moment that must have been. There's a couple things I want to notice about the moment that's taking place here at that tomb. And again, where the exact location is, there's a couple theories out there. There's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Actually, that's the longest tradition. Uh, the one at the Garden Tomb is actually goes back only about 150 years or so. So it's actually more of a recent tradition. Nonetheless, where Jesus was born isn't as great importance as the fact that he, or, or where he was born, but he, where he died and rose again. The fact of the matter is he did, okay? So as we look at this, look at what happened here. The, the women, the, Mary, uh, the two Marys, they come to the sepulcher, to the tomb there, and the, here it is, that Sunday morning, there was a great earthquake. The, Lord, the angel of the Lord descended up from heaven, rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Remember, and you compare the gospel accounts, that the women were actually really worried that who is going to be able to roll back the stone from us? And God says, I'll handle it. I'll send my angel to do it. Okay? Pretty amazing how that works out. But so there was a great morning. This Sunday morning is very special. The day after, we've got to remember what's taking place here in Jewish society at that time. Remember Jesus, before he went to the cross, the night before he, went, he died, what is he doing? He is celebrating Passover with the disciples in the upper room. They're celebrating deliverance, remembering how God delivered the Jewish people from bondage in Egypt. What a wonderful time that must have been. And indeed, that changed the course of Israel's history forever through that event. And here they are, now a thousand years later or so, and here they are now remembering that event, but also what is about to take place of the greatest deliverance of all, the deliverance from our sin. From the, freedom, from the bondage of sin that we have, and now we can be freed in Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing. Jesus is then crucified on that day on Passover. He literally was the Passover lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. We also see here, Jesus was buried. He also rose again the first day of the week. Now, this wasn't just any day on the Jewish calendar. This was also another Jewish feast day. I invite you to do that. In fact, we did a big study upon this last, about a year ago actually, about Passover and the Feast of First Fruits, which is the first day of the week after Passover. So that Sunday. And it was on that day when the priests would go out into the fields, uh, or actually close to Bethlehem, and they would collect a sheaf of, of barley. It was the barley harvest. And there they would take the barley and they would bring it and wave it as a sheaf offering between the, uh, before the Lord. They would do that. Well, the Apostle Paul later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 takes note of that. And he says that Jesus is the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, because Jesus rose from the dead, we also, as believers in him, have the hope of the resurrection as well. So Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. He was fulfilling the feast of first fruits. Pretty, pretty, pretty amazing when you think about that. But Jesus here resurrects on that first of the week. By the way, this is the fact. This is one of the great reasons why we worship on Sunday, on the first of the week. So every week we come here, we celebrate Easter every week when you think about it. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So it's not an accident we worship God on Sunday. That, by the way, Christian, that should be your priority. Amen. Giving the first day of the week to the Lord. Amen. Don't miss that. All right? Pretty amazing. So when we see it was a great morning, we also see the great earthquake that happened here. It's verse 2 talks about that great earthquake that happened. It's interesting, a lot of people don't realize this, but Israel is actually very prone to earthquakes. I remember, um, actually Israel sits on a fault line. If you see the Great Rift Valley, it comes from Syria, comes down through the Jordan Valley, and eventually comes its way through Africa. And so Israel sits on a fault line. So therefore, it is prone to earthquakes. I remember is when we moved there back in 2004, my wife and I, I think it was just a week had gone by, and I was sitting there trying to take a nap on the couch after a busy day. And uh, I'm laying there on the couch, and all of a sudden, I feel the room shaking and everything else like that. And sure enough, we were in the midst of an earthquake. And we felt a few of those earthquakes while we were there. So earthquakes are there. But the Bible says here that there was a great earthquake that happened when Jesus rose from the dead, when, when that day he did that. I think it's amazing. When you think of what happened during the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, remember when Jesus died on the cross? What happened? There was also a great earthquake. And now at his resurrection, there's another earthquake that's happening. Pretty amazing. I think as, uh, as one commentator says this, the earth which trembled with sorrow at the death of Christ, as it were, now leaped for joy as his resurrection. Praise God for that. So the earthquake there was to call attention, at least to us, and to those women that were there and those who were observing, that something monumental was happening with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was a great earthquake. And now we see there was a great appearance at that day, and that was the angel. Verse 3 says that his, the angel, his countenance was like lightning, his raiment or his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. In these verses here, we see that the angel, and angels throughout the Bible, they play great roles, but especially during the life of Christ, angels played an important part in the life of Christ. For example, at his birth, the angels were there to, for the annunciation, the announcement that Mary was going to be with child, and again, then to Joseph. At his birth, the angel, and then the multitude of angels uh, with the heavenly host, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Jesus was then baptized, and then 40 days he was in the wilderness, and then sustained by angels. Now at the very end of his ministry, at the, very, at the Passion Week, we see how the, the angels are then ministering to Jesus. There at the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is pouring out his heart. Nevertheless, take this cup from me, Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We see, though, that the angels were, at least from our viewpoint, absent at the cross. Jesus was, in a sense, abandoned. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was alone. He died there for you and me. But you know, the angels weren't far away because we see them now at the tomb. We see them there announcing to the ladies that was there that he is not here, for he is risen. We say later on the angels played another role in the ascension of Jesus Christ. As the disciples were looking into heaven, the angels said, Why standing here gazing up into heaven the same Jesus which has come will come back in like manner as he has seen him go into heaven. The angels have a big part in the, in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, and by the way, even in the future, coming the Lord as well, the angels would be present. Pretty amazing when you think about that. As we see here that the presence of the angels, this denoted strength, you see the angel roll back the door, sat upon it. It was divine help that was there. And then we see here as well that the, uh, 
the raiment that was white as snow, countenance like lightning. This really here, the whiteness of his raiment was not just for, we think, a purity, and that's true, but is also, I believe, a cause for joy and triumph. Think of this. This is this kind of a literary, uh, if those who study books and how uh, books are put together and stories are put together, think of this way. You see the imagery that is listed here, the white countenance and the, the shining bright raiment that's here, the clothing. Compare that with the darkness that happened at Calvary. And you see the contrast of that dark night and now a glorious morning. And that's kind of showcased here through the angels and what they wore and how they appeared. It's a, it's a night and, literally night and day difference is the idea. So with that in mind as well, we see here that there was actually a second earthquake. Not necessarily physical, like the ground shaking, although that happened, but look here in verse 4. For fear of him, of the angels of the presence, the keepers, the guards there at the tomb, did shake. Remember that there was uh, the temple guards that were placed there by the Sanhedrin, by the high priest, to ensure that that deceiver would not leave. I, I think they actually somewhat believed that Jesus was in fact going to rise from the dead, even though everyone else was clueless. It's, it's kind of amazing. But the guards, they shook. And the idea that they shook has the idea in the Greek of having tremors. The idea of shaking, being afraid like that, and became as dead men. Pretty amazing as you think about that. But as we see this in the appearance of the angels and how God's messengers delivered the message to these ladies and those that were observing this, I have a question. What is our reaction to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What is our reaction? I like what Adam Clark said concerning this. It says, God can, by one and same means, comfort his servants and terrify his enemies. Isn't that what happened here? The resurrection of Christ is a subject of terror to the servants of sin and a subject of consolation and comfort to the sons of God because it is a proof of the resurrection of both, the one to shame and everlasting contempt and the other to eternal glory and joy. For those keepers who were kind of used as instruments against God, it was a day of terror. But for the women and for those who believed in Jesus Christ who followed him, this is a moment of great joy. And tell you what, you can't get much more different than that. But what's our reaction going to be when we're presented with this truth? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, for the believer, this is the greatest day ever. It should be. And for the lost, they're either bewildered by it, they reject it. But when it comes down to it, folks, this is a life-altering moment. And how you view it really shows your relationship with God. So we hear, see here again the moment at the tomb, what happened that morning. But let's now look at the minding of the tomb. Who was kind of watching? Who was, who was there for that? I think it's interesting here. The disciples in this passage, they were distant. They were in the upper room. Why? Because probably because of fear, maybe because of sorrow, because they were in grief. Their savior, their master had passed away. Later on in Luke 24, we read that there was two disciples on the road to Emmaus that Jesus joined up and they were hanging their heads down. They didn't even realize that Jesus was right there next to them. They were so overcome by grief and sorrow during that time. So the disciples were distant. We see here the women at the tomb. The women here, it's interesting when you look at Mark, Matthew, and Luke's Gospels, uh, if you look here right before Jesus was buried, you notice that the women, Mary Magdalene, of course, was there, they watched carefully after the body. They watched and saw that Jesus' body was placed in the tomb. They were eyewitnesses to that. 
It's interesting how the gospel writers pay careful attention to the women's observation of the tomb, of who was in there, and they knew that Jesus was in there. They had prepared spices for his anointing, which was customary at that time. Here's the interesting thing. I think this, their heart was this, that they wanted to follow closely to their master. Their hearts were knit to their master so closely that they followed him after the cross. They wanted to care for him, make sure everything was in order, and watch after him. And then we have the guards, the guards who were set there as a sentry. And then, of course, we see that they were basically knocked over and knocked out. We see that. Okay, later on, you can read in Matthew that there was actually a report that the disciples stole their body away, which, by the way, if that actually happened, that would have been an automatic death sentence for the guards that were there. However, they were paid off, and that's another story uh, in, in general there. But this is what I like to see here. When the angel came, and the shepherds, or not the shepherds, that was a different story. That was the birth of Christ. Okay. They were afraid too. All right. When we see here the, sh- the soldiers that were here, the shepherds were on leave. Okay. So the, when the shepherds, okay. You guys tell the story. All right, here we go. We see what happened to the soldiers here. I think what I see here was a changing of the guard. There was a changing of the guard of that tomb. The angel said, okay, we're stepping in now. It's time to reveal the, the, the Messiah, the risen Lord. Pretty amazing, a changing of the guard. Here's the interesting thing about this here. I mentioned this a little bit earlier too. It is the angel of the Lord who announced the incarnation of the Son of God and also his resurrection from the grave. Bookends of Jesus' life here on earth. What a tremendous moment that was. So who was minding the tomb? God put his people in place so we would know exactly what needed to be done. The fact of the matter is that he is risen. He is risen indeed. We see not only just the moment at the tomb and the minding of the tomb, now we come to talk about the message of the tomb. What is the message of the empty tomb all about? Boys and girls, why do we celebrate this day, Easter? When we see here an empty tomb, again, there's nothing in it. Why do we celebrate nothing? And we're going to talk about that here, that there is something to celebrate. We see here, let's begin reading in verse 5. Here's the message of the tomb. Verse 5 says this, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. As we see these verses here, one thing that I, really jumped out at me as I was studying this in verse 5, the angels are talking to the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus. Mentioned earlier that the women, they follow closely to see how the body of the Lord was placed in the tomb, and even now they came the first day of the week to anoint him and to, you know, to care for the body. We saw here that they sought Jesus. That was their heart. No matter how dark that moment was for their lives and in their minds, their heart was this, we will seek Jesus. I think that's something that should encourage us when we go through dark times where we can't make sense of, of life, of circumstances, that we would seek Jesus through that. And the point of this, ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. It's interesting here that the resurrection is always connected to the cross. The resurrection is connected to the cross. I like what Matthew Henry said about this. True believers love and seek Christ, not though he was crucified, but because he was crucified. The fact is, yeah, Jesus died. Okay, we celebrate the risen Lord, but the fact is, he rose again because he was crucified, and he died for us. 
Three days later, he rose again. It's a complete story. We can't separate it and leave a part out without getting its full value. The thing is this, true believers, let us love and seek Christ because he was crucified. He died on the cross, get this, for you and for me and because of our sin. That should stop us in our tracks and ponder and reflect on the great love that our Savior had for us as he died for us on the cross. You see, we come now to the heart of the gospel. You seek Jesus, he was crucified. Verse 6, he is not here. Now, if the angels had stopped with that message, yeah, Jesus isn't here. If we were simply just left with that message, then, yeah, we'd come to see nothing. There really is nothing to look at. Nothing going on here, okay? Just keep going. But the angels, they, they understood this, that he is not here because why? He is risen, as he said. Jesus, earlier on in his ministry, he mentioned that after three days, he, he would rise again. He mentions this a couple times. I think it just may, probably went over the heads of disciples. But nonetheless, he gave that promise that he would rise again. It was a wonderful moment. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. You see here, the, the fact of the matter is that he is risen. This here, my friends, is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the good news. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, that our hope is is in vain and our faith is in vain. It's worth nothing if Jesus did not rise from the dead. The fact of the matter is, the heart of the gospel is right here in verse verse 6. He is not here. He is risen. And we say he is risen indeed. Praise God for that. It's been said by many writers, many preachers, so I'm simply repeating what has been said for years, that the stone was not rolled away to let the Lord out, but to let people in to prove the fact of the empty tomb. So when you come to Israel to see that empty tomb, the fact is that Jesus is not here, he is risen. You have proof of it right here, it's an empty tomb. You you can search throughout all of Judea, all of Jerusalem to find a tomb. Some people have claimed to even found the bones of Jesus, believe it or not. Seriously, don't Google it. It's a waste of time, okay? (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, the tomb of Jesus is empty. Why? Because he is alive forevermore. It's not this fact of stealing his body. That didn't happen either, okay? The fact is that Jesus did really rise again from the dead. I want us to focus our attention, though, on one key thing as we look at the fact that he has risen with the, the Bible itself. Notice in your mind how the gospel is presented in the early church. The apostles focused on the resurrection when sharing the gospel. And this is a common theme throughout the New Testament. Let me just give you a few verses, a few thoughts on that. For example, when Peter preached just 50 days after the resurrection on the Feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers there, he said this during a sermon, saying that David, he was quoting David, spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. This, Jesus, hath God raised up, wherefore we, we, are of, we are all witnesses. So Peter, in sharing the gospel on Pentecost, pointed to the fact that Jesus is risen. He's alive. Later on, the Apostle Paul, as he's preaching Uh, in Acts chapter 17, and Paul reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach to you is Christ. 
Again, the Apostle Paul mentions the resurrection in sharing the gospel with those around. Okay? We come now to a very familiar verse back. Many of you probably know this by heart. The book of Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, what? That God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. It's a focus on the resurrection. Later on, Paul challenged Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul challenged Timothy, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. If you notice this, that the gospel must focus on the resurrection. When we, when we witness to people, and I pray you do, take time to share Christ with others. That you would share the gospel, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, yes, because of his great love for us, but always make sure we include the resurrection. Now, the person on the street, when you say that Christ, that Jesus rose again from the dead, to an average mind, that's foolishness. That's silly. Impossible. I mean, you go to a funeral home, and you don't, I mean, maybe one weird story happened, you know, back, you know, 300 years ago, type of thing, but, you know, really, you don't see that happening. It's impossible from a human standpoint. But the, th the thing is this, Jesus is divine. He's supernatural. He rose again from the dead in a glorified body. Praise God that he is risen. He is risen indeed. The fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe it should dispel doubts and fear. Jesus' appearance here in Matthew is actually a unique, unique, unique uh, presentation here. And uh, he gives the women now three commands of comfort. Look with me now in verses, uh, starting verse 7. It says this, the angels are saying to the women, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And they, and they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Here we see one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ to the women here. It's interesting. So the commands that Jesus gives here, kind of verses 9 and 10, here are very important. First of all, he tells them, all hail. Okay, we sing a song, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. As we think about this, we see here, this, the word all hail is really... Uh, maybe a way that we can understand is the word rejoice. Rejoice. It's a word of grace, but rejoice. And this is a word to encourage them. When you hear the very first words of Jesus, after he wrote, when they thought he was gone, he was dead, the very first words that Jesus spoke to these women was what? Rejoice. Rejoice. We can rejoice in our risen Lord. Another command or admonishment that he gave was there in verse 10. Be not afraid. This here was a word of comfort. Yes, they were fearing. They were trembling. But they also had great joy. What was taking place? And when Jesus said, he said, be not afraid. From the words of Jesus, these are words of comfort. And what a change that must have been from just an hour before. When they were afraid. When they were fearful. When they were sorrowful. And now, with the presence of Jesus, they had great comfort. Be not afraid. You know, when we go through times of fear, rejoice. And take comfort in who Jesus Christ is. And then he says here, in verse 10, Go tell my brethren. 
Go tell my brethren. He says to go to Galilee, that he'll meet them there. Go tell my brethren. And that's, uh, it's interesting, this is the first time that Jesus is referring to his own, mostly his disciples, but probably for, in general, those who were followers of Jesus. But especially the disciples, he calls them uh, his, his brethren. That's there, okay? So as you think about this here, he, this is kind of showing that he loves them. He loves them. And think about how important that statement is. Because just really a few days ago, they deserted him. They denied him. One abandoned and betrayed him altogether. You thought all hope was lost. I think for most people in the flesh, that people would abandon us like, ah, forget them, I'll go on my own. I think a lot of us would at least feel that way. We understand that. But Jesus, in his great love, he had a heart for his own, his tender love for those he loved and cared for, his disciples. And he says, go tell my brethren he loves them, even though they deserted him. The fact of the matter is, Jesus with them, and we'll talk about this probably next week, as we said, well, what happened there on that mountain in Galilee? And we're going to see here the message that Jesus gave to his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Pretty amazing. We see here the fact of the matter is from this passage that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. But I must ask you today, have you embraced Jesus Christ, the Christ that is presented here in the gospel? And I pray that with reverence and with love, cast yourself as his, at his feet, as the women did here. They, ca- they cast themselves, they held him by his feet, and they worshiped him. I invite you, with reverence, cast yourself at his feet, the feet of Jesus. Take by faith, by faith, take hold of him. And with love and joy, lay your hearts near to him. Trust in him. I pray here, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, I have good news for you, that Jesus came to give you that forgiveness of sin. The Bible says, a verse that we know well and love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a world between life and death, folks. It's a world of eternal consequences, a choice that's presented before you. Jesus did not die on the cross, was buried, and rose again just for us to go on an Easter egg hunt. (laughs) Think about that. We're here for a bigger purpose. If you're here for that, you're celebrating nothing. We're here to celebrate something of substance. Not saying that's not fun. Of course, I love the candy, all right, which I shouldn't have anyways. But anyways, (laughs) but we understand that, folks. For us as believers, this is a day that should mean so much for us. And every Sunday we gather to worship, we serve a risen Savior. He lives. He is living forevermore. I want to share with you my testimony. Many of you have heard it before, but I grew up in uh, northern Minnesota, and, uh, born in Brainerd, but lived a lot of my life in Bacchus, Pine River, that area. And uh, so, but anyways, when I was about, about four years of age, my parents were asked to help out at a Bible camp and uh, Solid Rock Bible Camp, no longer in existence, but the Lord used it for many, many years. And Pastor Harvey Swenson, no relation to this Harvey, but he's a good guy nonetheless. I remember there at a, as a young child, my parents were working at the camp and I remember hearing one night during the chapel service, Pastor Swenson giving the message of salvation, and I understood that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and only Jesus Christ could forgive me of my sin. And as a young child, I went forward. I could tell you even the very place where that happened. And I gave my heart and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I stood up from there, a changed person, a changed boy, and a changed life. 
is amazing seeing that moment. For you, I pray you have a, a similar testimony of the fact that you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Do you, do you remember that? Do you remember at least, do you, do you know that? Do you know that's what happened to you? This is the thing. I believe here when we look at this, the resurrection, that should bring to our memory our relationship with Christ, that we cast ourselves before him. The resurrection of the Christ, I believe, calls us to worship Jesus Christ. The message of he is risen bids us to come and see the empty tomb. The message he is risen calls us to behold the living Lord. And then the message he has risen calls us to go and tell the world that Jesus saves. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Do you know him? Do you love him? Amen. Let us behold him. He is risen. He is risen indeed.